We've talked a lot about Mike Zimmer's firing this week, but we haven't really talked as much about Rick Spielman's. Let's rectify that and talk about what went wrong in that front office here on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. Today on the show, we are going to kind of continue breaking down this earth-shattering franchise-moving move that happened on Monday, Zimmer and Spielman out. We haven't talked as much about Spielman in the last couple of days, and I want to make sure we get to that. So I want to kind of frame this a little bit more productively, though. Looking forward, what do we learn from Rick Spielman? uh, And and what can we learn from why he failed? What lessons can we take from that and then apply them as we consume the next generation of the Vikings? So let's talk a little bit about that. And I, I guess I just want to muse a little about how Rick Spielman failed and why he failed. And look, the easy answers to this, but I I don't like the easy answers, but the easy answers are uh, he didn't do well in the O-line. He focused on defense too much until he didn't focus on defense at all, like in the draft and stuff. Um, There were just some misses, right? Like Mike Hughes didn't work out. Maybe that was injuries, but he didn't work out. Jeff Gladney didn't work out. Maybe they couldn't have seen that coming, but he didn't work out. Um, But here's the deal. That happens to everybody. Everybody has draft picks that don't work out. Everybody has free agents that don't work out. And maybe, you know, I think everybody's hit rate kind of ebbs and flows. People go up, people go down. That's more of the natural order of things. And the way it works in the NFL is if your low is too low, you're going to get fired over it. But I don't know. Like the 2020 draft is looking really good right now, even with the Jeff Gladney problem. Ezra Cleveland, I think, is playing a lot better at left guard. Of course, you have Justin Jefferson, but you're even getting stuff out of, like, I mean, Kenny Willekes just might have had, like, a breakout game. You're getting something out of KJ Osborne. Like, there's a lot of good players in that 2020 class. That's pretty cool. But maybe the die was already cast with some of the bad draft classes. You know, the 2016 draft class, total catastrophe, right? Treadwell, Willie Beavers, Morris Boringer, like, total mess. Um, And then the 2017 class wasn't as good. You kind of had Dalvin Cook. Nothing else really came out of that one. 2018, the Mike Hughes thing. Yeah, Brian O'Neill, but really nothing else came out of that one. I guess Conklin was in it. Um, 2019, I think, was a little better. Of course, if you think Garrett Bradbury is the worst thing to ever happen to center play since, I don't know, the dawn of time, you're probably not going to be as high on it as I am. But I still think Irv Smith is a good pick. Unfortunate that he got hurt. But I I think, you know, we're going to see that come the way he was playing in camp. I think we're going to see that come back. Um, when, when he's back from injury next year, if he can stay healthy, um, I think, you know, the, I I don't mind the 2019 class and the 2020 class looks good. 2021 class I hated immediately. Um, but I guess like 2016, 2017, 2018 classes were not good. They, they did not get enough good players. There were a couple here and there. You got a Dalvin cook. There's a Brian O'Neill in there, but like did not get enough good players. Um, and I think that sort of set the stage for needing a lot of really immediate contribution from other draft picks. Like, look, if you look at the truly successful teams, you know, year in and year out, they draft well, they or they're Bill Belichick, which doesn't count. But the really consistent, you know, stretches of play usually come a year or two after 
really good, consistent stretches of drafting. And when a team is really in the pits and it feels like, man, they just had no chance, even if they got a better quarterback, even when they fire the coach, there's that team's just in hell. Look at the last, you know, look at three years stretch of drafting, maybe a year or two before that, and you're going to find a problem. And that's really where we're at with the Vikings. You have this 16, 17, 18 stretch of drafting. I think 2019 was all right. 2020 looks like it's doing pretty good. Um, But that three-year stretch of drafting, we are kind of in the moment where those guys were supposed to be the core of the Vikings. And most of them aren't even in the league anymore. So that problem, I think, sort of sets the stage. So again, the easy answers are he spent a long time kind of trying to get fifth round O linemen that didn't work, spent a long time, um, you know, focusing on building through the draft. And then those draft classes failed and being really conservative in free agency kind of on top of that and stuff. You can say he drafted Christian Ponder 10 years ago, and I'm still mad about that. And like, sure, right? So whatever, he deserved to go. But process-wise, I want to focus a little bit more on not just he missed too many times. We can't learn anything from that. We can't learn like the the lesson we learn is missing the draft less. That's not very useful to us. So what process-wise happened that messed up Rick Spielman? And I think that will get us to some more interesting answers because I think part of it is the draft strategy. Part of it's the free agency strategy. And I think just like overall philosophy. I should probably talk too about the kind of cold calculating nature of it and the the cultural aspect of that. You know, Rick Spielman tried to keep a distance. I think there was somebody, I think Ben Gessling reported that somebody, some anonymous player said that it it was like he thought he was uh, Billy Bean walking around and Billy Bean kind of famously said, I don't want to meet you. I don't want to know you. I I need to be able to objectively make a decision to cut you and I don't want to feel bad about that. So he kept this really like callous distance from everything. And like, I don't know, I don't think that's necessarily wrong for a general manager with like roster players. I think it's a good point, right? You do need to be able to make those kind of cold calculated decisions. But I think that vibe definitely started to grate on people when there were other problems in the culture. And a lot of that's on Zimmer, but you know, you're losing, everybody's frustrated. And then people don't say hi to you in the hallways, like what Brian O'Neill called out. I, I don't know if he was talking about Mike Zimmer, if he was talking about Spielman there, but like, That's something that's been reported about Spielman before, that he didn't really talk to players and stuff. I don't necessarily think that's wrong, um, but when you're losing and things are bad, that's going to contribute to the downfall. That's going to suddenly taste a lot more bitter when other things around it are bitter, and it's just a factor we kind of have to point out. It's it's complicated to talk about, so I'm going to have to do a little bit of a long-winded thing. So bear with me, but first let's talk about the best-tasting protein bar on the planet. Built Bar is absolutely delicious. It is resolution season. We're all trying to be good. But, I mean, you tell your late-night cravings that. They ain't gonna listen to you, so you have to satisfy them. You gotta trick them. You gotta, you gotta cheat. And Built Bar is a cheat day without actually being a cheat day. Has, like, 17 grams of protein in one of those bad boys and, like, 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar. Unlike some of the other protein bars or, like, a candy bar itself has, like, 30 grams of sugar. Just crazy stuff. A Built Bar can trick your late-night cravings into thinking they have been satisfied without actually breaking whatever plan you got going for the new year. So head to built.com, a bunch of delicious flavors too, all covered in 100% chocolate, like salted caramel. There's, I think there's a double chocolate one, chocolate raspberry, chocolate mint, like whatever your favorite is, they probably have a flavor like it. And it's absolutely delicious. You're going to crave built bars specifically. It's not just going to be like a substitute that you can talk yourself into being really good. Like you will not have to convince yourself to want one of these things. They're absolutely delicious. So head on over to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and you can get 15% off of your order at built.com. 
Once again, thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. I want to go over what I think is one of the hardest problems that Rick Spielman uh, dealt with. And to do that, I'm going to do something I haven't done on this podcast in a long time. Longtime listeners will remember when I did this kind of crap all the time. But I am going to a very weird mathematical place here and really using it as a metaphor. You've probably heard of something called Simpson's Paradox. Simpson's Paradox is a weird mathematical paradox that happens in statistics where you can have, um, like, if you're comparing two running backs, say, uh, a running back can have more yards on first down and more yards on second down or more yards per attempt on first down, more yards per attempt on second down. But if you combine them and look at running backs on first and second down, running back B has more yards per attempt somehow. And it is a strange quirk of statistics that can happen when those two samples aren't like exactly the same uh, proportion. Um, but really, I, I was thinking about it a lot when it came to Rick Spielman, because Simpson's paradox is this sort of illustration that one plus one doesn't always equal two as cleanly as we wish it did. Um, and with Spielman, I think it works as a metaphor because Simpsons paradox can trick you. If you are looking at a data set and Simpsons paradox is in it, you could miss the forest for the trees. You can say yeah, that running back is better on first down and yards per attempt. He's better on second yard, second down and yards per attempt. He's probably better. But then if you zoom out and look at the big picture, you realize you're being tricked. And I think that same kind of group A's dynamic and group B's dynamic didn't work together the way we thought, I think really killed a lot of what, what Rick Spielman did. I'm not going to harp a whole bunch on the cornerback he drafted that like allegedly committed domestic violence and got cut from the league. Um, I, there wasn't, I don't think, like a pattern or anything. There wasn't a red flag. That wasn't a calculated risk. I don't think you can reasonably, unless you want to just say, I just would like to judge everybody in hindsight and not give anybody the benefit of the doubt. I don't think you can reasonably talk about that. And I think like Mike Hughes getting hurt a whole bunch and then flaming out like, I don't know, I, I don't hold that against him as much, but structurally there's bigger problems than this player missed or that player missed. Um, for example, when those quarterbacks didn't work out, they didn't get a veteran. They, they, or they did a couple this year, but in 2020, they just didn't, they just trotted out Holton Hill and Jeff Gladney before he was ready. Um, and Cameron Dantzler before he was ready. They just drafted two rookies, trotted out those guys in Holton Hill and it didn't work. It was a total disaster. And I think the dynamic that leads to that is kind of a byproduct of, I'm going to call it, uh, this isn't an analytics thing, but I'm going to use the word an analytical style that Rick Spielman, th that's not like analytics, like data analysis analytical. I mean, just that sort of, it's, he's always chasing value kind of style. Maybe a value-based style is a better way to do it. He is always chasing a little bit of value, right? Look at the way that Rick Spielman approaches the draft. Um, and he got a lot of good depth this way over the years. But essentially, there's a, a, a lot of trading down, and that's a value thing. It is a plus value thing to trade down. Whoever the next GM is, I would like them to still be really interested in trading down. I love trading down in the draft. I think two players is better than one, even if those two players are lower on the draft board than the other guys. We'd have no idea who's good in the draft anyways. Two bites is better than one. The the draft order is not as simple as it seems, and and historical data bears this out too. So you would get these moments where, and like one I remember really well, 2015, 
Rick Spielman trades Matt Castle away for a fifth round pick to, I think, Buffalo. And with that fifth round pick, he trades that down and he gets Stefan Diggs and Michael Pruitt, both of whom are still in the league. Of course, Diggs is an all pro and they would end up getting like a crap ton of draft picks for him later when that whole thing happened. Um, and they should have kept Michael Pruitt, which is a separate problem. And I would say a failure on the coaching staff, not a failure on Spielman. That was a good, that was a good evaluation. They got two good players out of Matt Castle. That's crazy good value. And that sort of philosophy is the idea. Now, of course, it doesn't always work out that way. You chase value. That means sometimes you do a more it's boringer where you say, well, he's a sixth rounder. And he might just get cut and never work out in the league. Or he might be like the greatest receiver ever because he has the athleticism of Calvin Johnson. Um, that sort of thing. Hey, if we get the greatest receiver ever for a sixth round pick, you know, if we Antonio Brown this, that's value, right? That's plus value. And it doesn't have to be that extreme. Take like Steven Weatherly, seventh round pick, didn't even make the team his first year, kind of a project. But if you're willing to take a guy like that, who needed a position switch. He was, I think, a linebacker and he needed to move defensive end. So he needed to kind of learn a different way of doing things. That took him a year to do. And then he was a rotational player. That's probably more of a fifth round value, a fourth round value, even if you want to get spicy about it. For a seventh round pick, that's plus value. You got a fifth round player for a seventh round pick. That's positive value. So that value-based judgment thing is sort of the way that Spielman tried to get ahead, get an edge against the rest of, of the teams in the league. And that's all well and good. But when you combine it with another philosophy, um, say what happened this year with one-year deals, one-year deals were very popular in the 2021 offseason because the cap was about to jump up, which means players didn't want to sign a long-term deal because the cap is down right now. So if a player signs a long-term deal right now in the deflated, like tight cap environment, they might short themselves money versus if they take a cheap one-year deal right now and then sign the big deal next year. Um, so that made one-year deals really, really popular. Some teams kind of decided, okay, we just won't do free agency. The cap sucks. We'll just get under the cap. We'll build through the draft. We'll do the best we can that way. Some teams really lean into it. No team leaned into it harder than the Vikings because there was kind of a market inefficiency there. You could get a player like Xavier Woods starting quality safety, whether you think he's a bad starter or a good starter, he's a starting quality safety for like, I think like vet minimum or like $500,000 above vet minimum, like just dirt cheap for a guy like that or a guy like Mackenzie Alexander, you know, players that started the entire season for the veteran minimum. That is really good and efficient. Um, but you combine that with the draft strategy which leads to a lot of projects, a lot of guys that need to develop over time. Um, that meant that you kind of had this really top-heavy roster. You had all of these veterans on contracts. Those are the guys that are starting. And then the depth behind them had to be comprised of draft picks, but those draft picks weren't ready to be backups. Kellen Mond was not ready to be a backup, and that's fine. Um, they, you know, That's what the draft pick was supposed to be. It's supposed to be a project, but he wasn't ready to be a backup, let alone a starter. Um, you know, Wyatt Davis wasn't ready to be a backup. Chaz Surratt wasn't ready to be a backup. So when Anthony Barr goes down, your depth is like Blake Lynch. When Daniil Hunter goes down, your depth is Kenny Willekes, who you did not roster. So that is where you've got, you know, group A thing of drafting projects and focusing on athleticism and trying to get value versus trying to get value by exploiting a market inefficiency with the cap being weird and signing a bunch of one-year deals. Those two things are all well and good on their own, but when you combine them, 
you get this big top heavy roster problem and then suddenly there's no depth and then one injury happens and the whole thing falls apart. And so it spurs you to do stuff like trade for Yannick Ngakwe for a second round pick and then when he's not working, flip him immediately for a third round pick. Individually, those two trades are, I guess, fine, right? Second rounder for an edge rusher, and then you trade that edge rusher away for a third. You didn't lose all that much value and stuff. But what you did was move a second round pick down to a third round pick for six games of a guy, and you lost five of those games. That is uh, bad value. But each one, each move individually in a vacuum is fine. But I think Spielman thought too much in a vacuum. So... I guess I want to talk a little bit more about how we can turn that into a lesson that we apply later. Uh, but first, let me talk to you about my new favorite app. Speaking of value, saving gas at the pump is awesome because gas prices just keep shooting on up and that stinks. So let's do something about it. Go to the App Store, or Google Play, download GetUpside. GetUpside is a free app. It'll tell you what gas stations are in your area that are participating. You go to one of those, fill up, take a picture of your receipt and upload it and you just get cash back. You get 25 cents off a gallon at the pump. If you add that up over, if you drive a lot over like a month, that's two, 300 bucks. That's like real money. And there's no catch here. You can just deposit that whenever you want. You can just direct deposit right into your bank. Or if it's more comfortable, you can do like Amazon or Google play. If you rather, um, that is it. It's that simple. It's that easy. And if you enter promo code touchdown, when you sign up, you can get 50 cents a gallon off at the pump on your first fill up 50 cents a gallon on your first fill up 25 cents from there on out, just for using the promo code touchdown with the get upside app. And maybe something you can do with all that extra moolah. Maybe you can place a little bit of a gramble. We got wild card, super wild card weekend. You can bet, place all of your bets. I'm going to be knocking out all kinds of prop bets, doing live betting. It's going to be so much fun. And where else would you go but betonline.ag to do all that? Bet online is your one-stop shop for all things grambling. You can bet on the wild card. You can bet on like basketball or hockey. If you're more into those sports, you can bet on whatever you want. And if you enter promo code locked on when you sign up at betonline.ag, you get a 50% welcome bonus. That means whatever your first deposit is, bet online just matches half of it, plops it right into your account. It's insane. Free grambling money. So head on over to betonline.ag. Enter promo code locked on to get your 50% welcome bonus and get yourself a grambling at Bet Online, where the game starts. So let me try to turn all this into something actionable because that was like this weird rambling thing. But really, the, the problem is that the, 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 there was an unfocused approach, I think, in the last couple of years where the Vikings sort of wanted to be win now, but they sort of wanted to they, they, they didn't really like go fully all in. They didn't really like commit fully to the future or anything like that. And they ended up kind of getting the worst of both worlds. This is one of the reasons that I've been harping on this a lot. And if you've listened to me for the last like two weeks, talk about what in the head coach that I want and a, and a GM too is a focused approach. I want, and I don't just mean like just be win now or just be this or just be offense or just be defense. No, I mean like pick the kind of team you want to be. If the Vikings decide, I think we want to be the Ravens. I think we want to be, you know, we're going to get Malik Willis out of Liberty. He's gotten, I've seen some Lamar Jackson comps for him, or at least he's like a runaround quarterback. We're going to get him. We're going to uh, get somebody that runs a lot of option stuff. Uh, maybe we'll grab like Greg Roman or we'll get, I don't he's the, because he's the Ravens guy, but maybe we'll get, you know, or somebody that, that runs the same scheme as him, somebody off of Arizona's staff, maybe. And then we are going to build an offensive line of power blocking linemen. And then we are going to get some speedy receivers on the outside that can take the top off because sometimes they like to suck up when you do all of the that option stuff. The defense likes to cheat up a lot to the line of scrimmage. So we'll get like a speedy guy and, and, and like on and on and on and on. And that whole thing 
works really well in tandem. Whereas like on the, like the difference is, you know, in a Spielman type approach a value type approach of make each individual decision as good as you can. Um, you might not get the speedy receiver because the speedy receiver doesn't weigh enough. And that means that he's like lower on your algorithm and really like you're, you're, you're trying to build something with a focus instead of building something with the most value. There was a, a, a one way to put it. You're trying to build a team that wins games. You're not trying to fit as many contracts under the cap as you possibly can. And I think that was a big mistake that Rick Spielman made. Um, that killed the Vikings. You can look at this defensively too as well, but I, I don't think defense is quite as specialized often as offense. Like linebackers are kind of linebackers. Defensive linemen are kind of defensive linemen. And every scheme uses an edge rusher. Every scheme needs a big old nose in the middle to stop the run. Um, but you can still do stuff like that where like, I love the way that Arizona was built. And it's why when I did my GM recap, you can still find that episode a couple weeks back. Um, I did a a Twitter Tuesday where I did all of your GM suggestions for me. And one of them was from Arizona. And I talked about how Arizona built a really focused thing. They had Cliff Kingsbury. He was running a weird offense. They had Kyler Murray for it. And they got offensive linemen that fit it. They got running backs that fit it. They built that and they did the same thing kind of on defense where they got guys like Isaiah Simmons and guys like Buddha Baker who have this very particular skill set and then they had a scheme that worked for those guys and there was a very clear idea of what they wanted to be not how much they wanted to be but what they wanted to be and I think that's why Arizona is finding itself in the playoffs um, they've got some other problems that they haven't been able to overcome, but I think that worked really well. I think I like the way Arizona's roster is constructed for that reason. And the bills are a good example because they're kind of the one I always go to. You've got Josh Allen. He wants to run options. So let's go get the guy who's been doing that at Bama and Brian Dable. Let's have him, you know, build an offense around this. Let's get good weapons for him to throw to. And you know what? Josh Allen's going to be the running game, so we're going to line up in shotgun and we're not going to really run the ball that much, like straight up to Devin Singletary. And we'll just use a third round pick on that guy. But otherwise, we're going to spend way out. We're going to get Stefan Diggs. We're going to like that. Building the offense that way was very smart. And they did the same thing on defense where they got particular pieces Ed Oliver and Micah Hyde. Of course, you've got Trey White. That always helps. And then having Leslie Frazier, I think, has done a really good job of having a defense that utilizes all of those skill sets and gets more than the sum of their parts, which was already pretty high. And that's why the Bills have the number one defense in the league right now. So when I say focused approach, I'm not just talking about, well, we're going to get an offensive minded head coach and we're going to make sure we get an offense. That's not a focused approach. A focused approach is what that offense is going to be. And when we acquire players for that offense, I'm not talking about like the proportions of resource allocation. I think that is way too oversaturated of a talking point, honestly, when it comes to team construction is, well, how many cap dollars did you spend at wide receiver and how many did you spend on offensive line and how many draft picks did you spend on your linebackers? And I, I don't that's like not as relevant to me as what kind of offensive line did you get? And of course, did those players work out or did you just draft a bunch of crappy players and now you're in hell like the Giants? I do think that the Vikings, just because of the influence of the Wilfs, are still going to be a very deliberate and careful organization. I don't think that we're going to be like the Giants where we throw around the most money we possibly can in free agency or the Jaguars or the Browns. Those are the teams that always like win free agency. I don't think we're going to do that. I think we're still going to be very careful, but careful 
like Spielman, like that's not the problem with Spielman, you know, trading down wasn't the problem with Spielman. The problem with Spielman was an approach of maximizing individual values instead of trying to combine things to make them the sum of their part greater than the sum of their parts the last example i'll give you is with the offensive line the offensive line was a total failure rick spielman failed to build one if he's getting fired for anything it's probably that uh or he's getting you know dragged down with mike zimmer who totally lost everybody but their offensive line strategy was the same as all their other strategy we're going to get athletic players we're going to teach them what to do but really we've got this you know projection score would scout it and then we do you know use their athleticism and we use the analytics of that and we have this value thing and then that influences our board so we are going to draft players that are more athletic than what should be available right then which means you're naturally going to get some raw players and then we'll coach them up but when it actually came time to coach them up the coaches would move them into new positions or they would have to start too early because of an injury or because somebody else totally sucked um, and there would be all these problems and suddenly that development couldn't take place the way that it was envisioned in the draft. And I think that's the same people in those, in both of those rooms. I mean, that's Mike Zimmer doing that. That's an O-line coach doing that. And I think to some degree Spielman influences, uh, the, the roster like configuration as much as he influences the draft war, war room then you kind of have this, you set out to do this project player and then you don't let them be a project player. And that's how you get Drew Samias and Pat Elflines and TJ Clemmings is. And I mean, you name it, a lot of players flamed out because they just were not able to develop in the way that the team originally envisioned for them. And so you lost an O-line and you didn't have an O-line and then there's a ton of pressure. And of course, Kirk Cousins deals with that worse than other quarterbacks does. And it, and it all compounds, right? Um, shoot, getting Kirk Cousins is an example of this. Kirk Cousins was not a fit for the roster that we had. If there is one thing that Kirk Cousins needs, it's an O-line. And he doesn't really need, I don't think, like elite receiving weapons. I think he's good at maximizing receivers and he's really bad at maximizing O-line. And we had the opposite. But he was the value best guy on the market at the time. So we brought him in. But it's like, you know, part A doesn't mesh with part B, doesn't mesh with part C. And the strategy falls apart because the big picture approach was always confused. And I think that's what got Rick Spielman fired. What really got him fired was losing too many games. But what made them lose too many games was a confused and unfocused approach. So whoever comes in, if I'm interviewing GM candidates, I want to know what do you want to do? How are you going to do it? What kind of team are you going to make the Vikings? That is the important question to answer. And we'll talk about who those candidates are, I think, a lot as, you know, interviews crop up and we start to learn who the Vikings are actually interested in. I'll go into all of that stuff with you. Um, but for now, check out the Locked On Bets podcast. Get your gramble straight before you head over to Bet Online and start using that free play money. Uh, your boy Q, handicapping expert Lee Sterling, will get you set. I will see you all tomorrow. I'm really excited for tomorrow's show. If there's not a lot of news, I get to talk about something that I, I researched pretty hard and have a fun story to tell you. So we're going to do that tomorrow, uh, God willing, and I will see you all then. And as always, skull.